Welcome to World House Radio Stories of Home. I'm Sarah Tranum, host of this weekly podcast that brings you interviews with leaders and innovators in the fields of housing and design. Each week we discuss the issues and solutions surrounding housing from the local and global perspectives. Today we welcome Ernesto Fonseca to the program. He is an architect and energy consultant with the Stardust Center for Affordable Homes in the Family, a project initiated by Arizona State University, which seeks to promote housing that is affordable, dignified, and environmentally and culturally responsive. Ernesto has been integral in the design, build, and monitoring of the two homes created by the Stardust Center, the Nagizi House and the Guadalupe House. Both of these houses demonstrate the importance of a whole systems approach to the design of conscientious housing. Today we're going to be looking at two systems that are especially important in these homes, the air handling system and the social system. Air handling is how clean, healthy air moves through the home, providing ventilation, heating, and cooling. The social system considers how a home allows for social interaction both within it and outside of it as it connects to the surrounding community. Both air and and social interaction are essential. Both are life-giving, and when they are part of the design of the house, they allow for the inhabitants to be healthier, happier, and more connected. Ernesto, thank you for being a guest on World House Radio. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. My first question is, can you talk about the Stardust Center and the types of projects the center takes on? Certainly. The Stardust Center was uh, an initiative in 2002 from uh, Michael Crow, our president here at the university. And he invited Michael Payatok, which is our current uh, executive director, to lead the center. Michael brought Daniel on board, Sherry, which is our director of research, and Daniel is our director of design. I was working already for them doing uh, um, energy analysis and design uh, for uh, the projects that we were recently starting in 2002. The center is totally committed to increase the, the production and the quality of affordable housing in Arizona and everywhere else where we can, you know, get our hands on. But not just increase it in just any way. We want to increase the production in a more responsible way, respecting the climate that we're living in, uh, taking into consideration the culture and the people that we're serving, and, of course, you know, trying to make it affordable. These two elements will help uh, house not only to be affordable in the first phase, but also to be affordable in a um, long-term uh, scenario. When you have a sustainable, more uh, responsive to the climate a unit, you will find that you will be saving a very important amount of uh, resources every month on utility bills. You will be incrementing the quality of life of the people that is living in by having better air quality, by having you know nicer temperatures. And also you will be uh, making uh, these homes a little more a part of the community by making them culturally responsive. You know, if you're Mexican, if you're Navajo, if you are from the Midwest, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important. I think that the mission of the center is very well established. And we have multiple projects with a lot of nonprofit organizations, and we're starting to get into the for-profit and uh, trying to convince them, you know, to do the right thing as well. The Nagizi House was built for Navajo Nation elders Mary and Key Augustine, replacing their previous home. Can you describe the design process, the factors that were considered, and the role the Augustines played in the design of their new home? Yes. Well, first of all, let me tell you that the design build, or demonstration homes as we call them right now, they are meant 
see that a demonstration home for larger corporations, organizations, or developers to continue building this kind of home. This house was built in the Navajo Nation in Nagizi. We have now a great relationship with the Navajo Housing Authority, and they build hundreds of houses a year. So they are looking into building more of these homes now, after two years that we build it. That is our goal, to show to other people and, other, uh, and the decision makers that this can work. So going back a little bit on time, in 2004, a student from uh, Arizona State University came to us, talked to Mike about remodeling a home in Navajo, uh, in Navajo land. And um, Mike got really interested into this project. You know, we were new, uh, the new kids in the neighborhood. We were trying to show what we could do, and we're trying to get a little bit more of attention. So. Mike considered that this could be a good project to start and to um, develop a relationship with other, you know, large organizations such as the Navajo Housing Authority. And uh, we went on to look to the house up in uh, Nagizi. Well, the house was extremely bad. I mean, it had been burned a couple of times. They saved it. Um, it, it really, you know, we didn't see any potential into remodeling the house. So the next phase came into place. And uh, Mike suggested that we should develop a new model, that we should uh, come up with a new construction design, and that we were going to absorb all the cost. This family didn't have any resources in any important way that you know we could be asking for absolutely anything. So um, Daniel came on board, and uh, we started you know working out with the students that uh, came up with the idea. And our center, I did all the energy analysis and design for the house to see how it could work. Uh, the block that we were using was from uh, was manufactured is manufactured by the by Navajo Flexcript. It worked out well. We came out with a great design, I think, for the home. We went back up to Nagisi and showed the client the design. They made some changes. They made some suggestions. They were minor. They they really made really minor change. I think they were really excited of the, you know, potential opportunity of getting a house. They were not really sure we were for real or not, I guess. But uh, they were really excited. The, the change were minor, and then they said, yes, you know, take my house down and build a new, another one. So a few months later, we had already the plans and everything, you know, on board. Uh, Dan was wondering, you know, we needed a construction coordinator, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him, you know, well, that's what I did in Mexico, and I went back to my desk. And uh, Daniel came back, to, came back to me. He was like, well, if that's what you did in Mexico, then why don't you do it here again? Like, okay, you know, let's do it. So we went back up there and lived there for almost a couple of months and built a house that uh, turned out to be really nice. And it has had a lot of attention from uh, NHA, which is the Naval Housing Authority. And uh, right now they are working on uh, developing um, dozens of more of these models with different modifications to it. How does the Nagizi House reflect the social wants and needs of the Augustines and the surrounding community? Well, very good question. First of all, uh, when we were designing the house, we were thinking of them, you know, as a elder couple from the Navajo Nation. The two of them are very uh, traditional in many ways. The two of them were born in a Hogan. Um, I don't know, they are around, they are in the 80s right now. They lived there most of their life. 
that house had been there, the house that they had, that we took down, had been there for 20 years. But before then, they had been living in uh, Holland all their lives. So uh, one of the most important elements that we took into consideration was that Hogan piece. Yet they said they didn't want to live in a Hogan, so we tried to take into consideration that Hogan, and, but not make it the house by itself. So what we did is we put it in the middle. We made it the center of attention, but it was just going to be a central courtyard with a Hogan-like structure. So it's giving you the essence of the Hogan, but it's not a Hogan, you know, per se. Then we designed the house to walk around the house, from, to walk from the left to the right, because that is how people move in Hogan's according to the tradition. And always Hogan's have the front door facing east to receive the, the racing sun every morning and, and have a good day. So we face the house east, and we made the house design so you could walk in from the left and walk into the right to your uh, sleeping quarters and then come back to your kitchen and uh, continue your activities during the day. So that was tackling already the cultural aspect of the family. Uh, as far as the climate, well, that's where I came in, and I have to take into consideration uh, the wind speed of the location, the air pollution, the solar radiation, the raining seasons, and how much water they were getting, and certainly the thermal comfort of the families that were going to be living in there. Uh, Nagisi gets really cold in the wintertime. They go, you know, to below zero most of January and February. December is cold, you know, it's getting dirty zeros, but and they get some snow. January gets pretty cold. February is quite cold. Then, you know, March, then to the temperature starts to go up a little bit. So what I did is I concentrated in the wintertime as my first phase of design, thinking of how we could make this house the best to perform um, and use the least amount of energy. So they gave me several options, you know, from now foundation, as far as, you know, blocks that I could use, uh, 6 inch and 8 inch and 12 inch. Uh, I tested all of them to see which one of them would perform best and which one would have, you know, the best thermal properties. And it happened to be the thickest one, not in the case, not in Guadalupe, but for Nagisi, it happened to be the thickest one, which is a 12-inch block. So I recommend the use of a 12-inch block. Then I calculated uh, the amount of glazing on the southern facade of the of the house. That glazing on the southern facade gave us almost 20% of the heating loads for the winter time just by solar radiation. Then I suggested the use of a shade again in the sun facade so we could be protected in the summertime and we wouldn't get overheated. The house entirely in the summertime is totally passive. I talk a little bit about that. But um, in the wintertime, what, what I did is I installed a radiant flow heating system which are more efficient than most systems because they are going to be hitting the slab, you know, as it is, and you won't have the hot air blowing to your face all the time or going on and off. When you're hitting the slab, you're hitting mass. So that mass is going to be heated, and it's going to be warm for several hours before the system has to work again. So you're saving, you know, by storing the energy. That energy is then releasing to the ambient of the, you know, of the house inside, and then you have a very, very efficient way of heating the house, and you don't have the noise of a air handler blowing on and off. 
So moving along a little bit to the summertime. In the summertime, well, the temperatures were not that crazy. They go a little bit above 100 degrees in the hottest days, which is around June. They get a lot of rain for the most part, and then they get some crazy winds from the west and the north. So what I did is I limited my windows on the west, certainly for two reasons. The main one is solar radiations. We don't want, you know, that sun is striking into your house, you know, every afternoon because they are going to overheat your house and they are going to increase your cooling loads or make your house uncomfortable. And on the north, what I did is just utilize the windows that were not too large, but uh, large enough for you to get your natural lighting without requiring too much of, you know, the use of the light bulb. And on the south, I 12% of the facade, 12% of the floor area uh, was expressed on the south facade with windows. And then, you know, that uh, was going to give us the heating for the winter, but also a lot of lighting for the for the main areas, which is the kitchen, living, and dining room. So we had all this free lighting. We have all this free heating for the for the winter time. And for the summertime, what I did, like I said before, is put a shade that was protecting that facade from the sun in the summertime since the sun is high, so it wouldn't go into it. And it protects entirely the whole facade. Now, the house in the summertime, it works fantastically. I think it was our best uh, achievement for that house because every time I've been there in Nayisi, the house is comfortable, it's cool, and the family is very, very pleased with it. The winter time we had ups and downs because the family was not used to, you know, manipulating the iron floor heating system. They were, they were expecting, you know, instant heat. So they would turn it off manually and then they would turn it on manually again. So that was that wasn't a good thing. Finally we changed their thermostat to make it a little more self sustained and it's working fine now. So uh, again flipping back to the summertime also, we uh, made the walls a little shorter in the house, the internal walls. That way we had some upper windows that were going to be open at night uh, with a remote control. And the air will be traveling inside the house freely and cooling the mass of the building from side to side, from east, uh, I'm sorry, from south to north. And uh, that was helping, and it is helping the house to stay cool during the night. And during the day, all that cool that was, you know, capturing the mass of the house is then released again throughout the day. And then when the night comes again, the cycle goes all over again. So uh, the house is working really well. The mass of the building is helping a lot to retain either heat or cool, you know, during um, any of the seasons. And the other thing that we do in order to prove this is that I, after we finish the house, we install a monitoring system. This monitoring system has uh, multiple wires that, you know, they can be the length that you want to, and they are thermal sensors. So what I did is that I installed thermal sensors on the, on the block, you know, to test the temperatures traveling through the block every inch. I tested temperatures inside every single room. I tested uh, temperatures outside to see the difference of one another. And then, again, I tested, you know, the energy consumption that this house was having. The house uh, did really well. We made some further recommendations for the Guadalupe house based on the information that I have from Nagisi. That means that this research is not only helping us to understand how materials work, but it's also helping us to make better decisions. For instance, for Guadalupe, I decided to use a thinner block. You know, 12 inches was just a little too much. Not too much, but it was a little bit on the bigger side. So that's helping her to reduce cost, 
it's helping us to understand how things work and certainly is proving that, uh, you know, passive strategies definitely work. You mentioned the use of flycrete, uh, Navajo flycrete blocks, both in the Nagizi house and the recently finished Guadalupe house. Can you talk about what flexcrete is and why it was chosen as a material? Uh, sure. Flexcrete is uh, nothing else but an aerated concrete block. This aerated concrete block, it's a mix of fibers, which can be nylon, can be fiberglass, can be anything like that. Cement, around 20% of cement, between 10 and 20, depending on the formula they are using. And in this case, for Navajo Flexcrete, is fly ash. The fly ash is a big product. It's waste from uh, coal burning companies. I know that sounds horrible. I don't like it myself, but it's not a polluting element in the first place if you use it for this purpose. And then again, it's a waste material that if you don't use it, it's going to be uh, just thrown into a landfill and nothing is going to happen to it. So these guys are using it as a main element for their block. What they do is they mix the fly ash, they mix the cement and the fibers that they are using into a big, big blender. And they inject some air into it. Then they put it on, uh, they lay it into big molds as if it was a cake, and then they let it sit and dry. There is not heated, it's not baked at all, it just sit there and then it dries, then they cut with a regular saw. The benefits of this block is that it's those little bubbles that are inside the block. Those little bubbles of air give the block a lot of insulation that otherwise it wouldn't have. The other thing is that those little little bubbles of air also are making the block a lot lighter. And you can cut it with a hand saw, with a regular, you know, wood saw. You can carry a 12 by 12 by 24 block easily. I mean, it's not that light, but it's definitely a lot lighter than a regular CPU block. And um, the combination of cement and air brings uh, to the block very good thermal properties, insulation mass at the same time, which is great. You know, you don't find those qualities in those products. I mean, there are multiple air-rated blocks out there. Some of them are baked, some of them are not, like FlexFit. And these blocks definitely, you know, have that quality, you know, that they have insulation and they have mass, and you don't have the international insulation. This insulation is not going to get old and die like uh, bat insulation, for instance, that gets full of dirt and then the properties change. The block doesn't need any drywall on the inside or any chicken wire on the outside. You can just install, you know, your stock on the outside and apply it and be done with it. In the inside, you can apply your plaster or your uh, finish, and then you can paint it, and it's done. So the block has a lot of qualities that can help very, very much. It's not the solution for everything, but it's definitely something that should be considered, you know, for future buildings. This is the way we built in the past. You know, we used a lot of mass, and it made sense. It made sense. At some point, we started, you know, thinking of what was best for our communities and start thinking more of the resources that we were spending on them without thinking of the future. So bringing back, you know, those kind of uh, materials such as flexit or others out there, I think it makes sense for many, many reasons. The Guadalupe house was built for uh, Olivia Bejarano in her hometown of Guadalupe, Arizona, a small, predominantly Mexican-American community. And the air handling system used in the house incorporates the traditional Mexican design techniques used to naturally cool and ventilate a house. Can you describe the traditional system and its role in this new home? Yes. Um, 
Well, let me tell you a little bit about the house. Uh, Guadalupe, what we did, we went through a little different process than with uh, Nagis in Guadalupe. What we did is we uh, got the family together in the town hall and we got some community members and we went to a uh, community design workshop. In this community design workshop, we came up, well, the, the, the people came up with, uh, with a design of their own for, for the house, for their ideal house, and so did Olivia. So what we did is we gave them, you know, bedrooms, bathrooms, uh, kitchen, dining, living in little blocks. So they were supposed to place them on the design as they wanted. You know, they 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 were supposed to put them on the front, on the back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that that is how we came up with the design of the house. We didn't design the main part of the house; they did it. So that's that's the way we were addressing the social aspect, you know, because we want to know what exactly is it what I, that they wanted. We got the design, we brought it to the drawing board, and then we worked the details for the house. Once we had all those details, what I did is uh, analyze the house in, you know, with different uh, kinds of windows, different systems. And uh, we had a company called Alter Air that came to our door and offered their system. And they um, were telling us that their system was going to be using a third of their energy uh, that a typical system uses. And secondly, that um, it didn't use any freon. So it was like an industrial chiller, but in a very small uh, size. And it's working fine. We made uh, this house to be entirely passive, you know, for the winter time. And um, that was really nice because even when the house didn't have any doors or windows on it, the house was really, really nice and cozy when you came into the house. It was warm was nice, you know, the wind doesn't blow very much in, in Guadalupe, well, in Arizona anyway. And um, so that was a really good signal that the house was working properly. Then, for the summertime, what I did, you know, like I told you before, I did uh, apply some of the stuff that I learned from Nagisi while I was monitoring the system. What, what I learned in Nagisi is that after eight inches of, you know, thickness in a wall uh, with this particular material, temperature really doesn't do very much into the block, meaning that we had, you know, four extra inches that were not doing nothing at all. So I recommended the use of an eight-inch block for this house, which is saving, again, you know, four inches of material that could be used for something else. And uh, now that the summer is coming up, uh, the, the house is really nice and cool with their system that they are using. The only difference with this system is that this system won't cool the house less than 77 degrees in the summertime, which for me is perfectly fine. For some other people, might not be just as good. But then again, you know, when you're designing a sustainable uh, greenhouse, you have to explain and educate, you know, your client that temperature are going to be 70 degrees or 68 degrees as they probably want in some cases. Most people, you know, have their thermal comfort, you know, set around 78, 79 degrees to. 75, probably the lowest. The house is meant to be entirely lit, you know, by daylighting during the day. Um, there's really not something that we miss very much in the house. We have a, a great water irrigation system that is collecting the water from the faucets uh, in the sinks and the showers. And then this water is going into uh, an, a self-irrigation system to raise trees and some more plants in the courtyard. We have a rainwater collection system that is working fabulous. That was uh, one of our big hits in the house. And it's collecting around 6,000 gallons per year. 
this house is being used by gravity used to, again you know to water trees and plants in the back part of the house where she has like 12 trees something like that and uh, the system got you know almost half full in the first in the first rain season and then you know got full again and she's been using all this water that we're collecting through the rainwater harvesting system and we in, install also a PV system, which is a photovoltaic solar system that is producing 2.4 kilowatts, which accounts for uh, over 60% of the general consumption of the house. The house, as it is, is already, you know, efficient because we designed it to use over 40% less energy than a traditional home based on, you know, the cooling systems that we install, the type of lighting that we, um, lighting fixtures that we install. Etc. Etc. And on top of that, we did install, you know, the PV system that was going to be producing over 60% on top of the already savings that we had. Let me see what else can I tell you about Guadalupe. It's a beautiful house. Have you seen the pictures? Oh, I have. It is beautiful. And just going back to what you mentioned about the owner and the family being involved in the design, specifically, what about the design reflects the cultural traditions of them being Mexican American? Right. Well, you know, there are a couple of things that you have to take into consideration when you're designing for a particular cultural group. First of all, uh, you go back in time a little bit and try to analyze what is it that makes a home, you know, Mexican. What is it that makes a home American, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, courtyards in Mexico are very typical. They were used by indigenous people in Mexico, and then they were revived again by Spanish when they came over. So they became, you know, a um, signature feature of Mexican homes, and they have a reason to be. First of all, they are meant to be a protected area, you know, within the house. This protected area is supposed to be protected from the sun, from the wind, and certainly from anybody outside, because the center is the heart of your house. We brought that element back into, back from time to Guadalupe, and then we asked, you know, the family to participate into the design workshop to play with these elements. We remind them a little bit about the courtyard. We remind them a little bit about the front porch, you know, that was uh, very typical, you know, in some homes in Mexico for people to gather and to be watching, you know, people going, you know, back and forth on the streets. We uh, are utilizing elements, you know, from um, such as logs, you know, that are exposed uh, as features of the house. We are utilizing the color of the house that is a very typical color in Mexican-American culture, so in Mexico in, in particular, that is orange or yellow. Uh, the courtyard, going back to the courtyard, which I think I think is a very, very important element of any uh, house in, in this culture. It's, um, it's not only housing, uh, you know, the heart of the house, but it's also, you know, a very beautiful protected area that is cooled by the exhaust air that is coming from the AC. So this area is even more livable for people to use it every day, even during the hot season. When we were talking to Olivia, we explained to her, you know, how these things work, you know, how, what is it that, that, that she had to be thinking of when uh, she was going to design her own home, you know, during the design, um, the community design uh, workshops. And she certainly, you know, took into consideration of these aspects, you know, such as the courtyard, the front porch, thinking of having most of her openings, you know, such as windows and doors, on the south side and, and her bedroom to everything going into the center of the house, which is the courtyard. So that is the way we try to address the cultural aspects of different groups. And 
you know, when we come back to our office, we try to think of what makes a home, you know, culturally responsive, what makes a home, you know, something that people are going to like, you know, in a particular group of people. Another question is wondering what other projects you're currently involved with. Our next design project is going to be 46 homes right now that is that are being built by uh, Chicanos por la Causa in South Phoenix. They just uh, broke ground a couple of weeks ago, so they are uh, they are still in the phases of uh, prepping the site and working with um, you know different contractors. These homes were designed meant to be uh, production kind. They are going to be two floor homes. Uh, they are going to be detached homes, three and four bedroom homes for families, obviously. We did uh, manage for the organization to use SIP panels, which is a different system. It's a little faster to build than, than FlexFit, but it's a very different weight. Structurally insulated panels? Structurally insulated panels, and they work great. They have uh, great uh, insulation properties. They don't have the mass, though, you know, which is a little, a, a little drawback, but you can't have everything when you are going into production, so you have to offer all the options that you can think of. We definitely you know, implement, you know, solar uh, analysis for the house to make them, you know, be cooler, you know, during the summertime and hotter during the wintertime. And we're working right now with Arizona State University with the photovoltaic lab to get a donation of uh, 500 solar panels for um, potentially, you know, to be installed on the roof of these houses. Yeah, that's one of the projects. Then we have, you know, projects with uh, NHS, which is uh, Neighborhood Housing Services. We, ha we have projects with the city of Seattle. We have projects with city of Tempe, city of Mesa. Literally, we have around 20 projects right now that we're working on, you know, from uh, day labor centers to um, an elderly housing to uh, student housing to, you know, multifamily complex uh, family projects to infill housing generally in the Valley area. But we have a lot of projects with us right now. Interesting. And all of them are meant to be, again, affordable and sustainable and to have some kind of cultural responsiveness, whether that's for students or for, as you mentioned, you know, elderly. Well, you know, when you're real, for instance, student housing, you don't necessarily have particular group that you're trying to address, so you will be addressing mostly the climate and the location that you're building in, right, that you're designing for. I guess except there's a there's a student culture, right? I mean, how their what their needs would be versus the needs of a family, for instance, in that, in right. that sense. Right, that is true. But, you know, when we do the, the, the demonstration homes, we do them for one reason, so we can show other people to do them. Right now, the Guadalupe house is going to be built six times again in the town of Guadalupe, the CDC from Guadalupe is going to build another six of them that we modify for them to reduce a little bit the, the school footage. But it's the same house, so that is great, right? But when you go to larger developers, you know, such as CPLC or City of Phoenix or Tempe, whatever, it, it is not that simple. That is our goal, you know, to try to influence these people to build more sustainable, more green, you know, more cultural responses. And one thing that is extremely important I even mentioned before is to increase densities. Density just by itself is a very 
sustainable practice because you are compacting, you know, you're reducing the use of land, you're reducing the distance that you have to travel by car. So we're, in, we're pushing for density in a great deal right here, right now. Sometimes we cannot implement every aspect that we want to, you know, in this particular project. Sometimes we, you know, we just go with density. Sometimes we can implement, you know, sustainability and density. Sometimes we can go with solar density, sustainable, culturally, everything. But when you work with young, with larger developers, you have to try to work with them every single way possible and try to offer them all the possibilities, but not not always, you know, they take everything that you would, you know, you would want them to do. Well, my last question for you is, as someone who's a part of creating homes that are both culturally and environmentally responsive, what does home mean to you, and how would you like to live in the future? Home for me is it's the place where I would like to end my days, I think. It's a place where I like to to come back. It's a place that I would like you know, every day. It's a place that I feel comfortable and uh, I will definitely like to have a medium house in the future that is very, very sustainable. I keep designing, you know, my house every other week in <laughs> in my free time or over the weekends, you know, I keep adding features, I keep changing materials. There is not one single solution. There are multiple solutions that you can bring to your homes and to your buildings in general. What those solutions are going to be for my particular case. I don't know, but it's definitely, I, I envision a, a very green place. That's why I told you that I would like to come back to the, to the Midwest and definitely a place that is very, very self-sustained for many reasons uh, to protect the environment, which is one of my big, uh, one of my biggest concerns. That is the reason I actually went to school for this particular topic, you know, energy efficiency. Uh, I don't know how to use my knowledge in order to affect a little bit more of this whole uh, environment and global warming and excessive use of resources, so I went to, to do this master's. So my main concern is the environment. Then again, you know, I like to have a cozy, nice house, like everyone else probably. That's a, that's a good answer. Ernesto, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest. Thank you for your time and insight and for being a part of World House Radio Stories of Home. Thank you very much, Sarah. To learn more about Ernesto Fonseca, the Stardust Center for Affordable Homes and the Family, and the Nagizi and Guadalupe Houses, check out the links on our website, www.worldhouse.ca. The two songs used in today's program are both about air, our connection to the air we breathe, and our connection to the people around us who share the same air with us. These songs were created by independent artists willing to share their music online for free. The artists can be found on GarageBand.com, a website promoting new and emerging independent musicians. Links to the artists can also be found at our website. Join us next week for another episode of World House Radio Stories at Home. Today you told them that better raise my pay, or I ain't staying here no